Open mine eyes that I may see Glimpses of truth thou hast for me Open mine eyes, illumine me Spirit divine Love of my life, I am crying I am not dying, I am dancing Dancing along in the madness There is no sadness like to invite you to a soul-level encounter. Music has an incredible ability to proclaim the soul's language beyond what mere words can speak. That's what we seek as we invite our guests to share their song of the soul. You will hear the music that has charted the steps of their spiritual journey, that has provided a touchstone in the soul's dark night and sung the heart's awe and joy when come to the light. Over the next hour, you will be a witness and companion to our guests' spiritual path and sacred testimony. Welcome to Song of the Soul. guest for today's Song of the Soul is Catherine Price. I met Catherine while I was traveling down in Florida back in March, and she charmed me with her music and her stories, and so I decided to invite her on for Song of the Soul. She's Southern born and raised, grew up Southern Baptist, and has a particular love for bluegrass music, which is not surprising given that she was actually born in Nashville, Tennessee. In addition to her other exploits in life, Catherine was a Peace Corps volunteer and is now Quaker. Catherine, thanks so much for joining me for Song of the Soul. Thank you. Catherine, when I ran into you a couple weeks ago, it was in Florida, which is home for you, but that's not where you are right now. Would you care to explain to our listeners where you are at the moment? Well, I happen to be in Nashville, sitting in a hotel right next to the Broadway, the Strip here, And when we get finished, I'm going to go down there and listen to some good music. And it's my sense that Nashville has the kind of music you like. It's really your music scene, isn't it? Well, you know, I lived in Nashville when I was a little kid. My mom, who's from East Tennessee, my dad was always wanting to take us down to the Grand Ole Opry, and my mom wouldn't let us go down there because she said she'd been called a hillbilly all of her life, and she didn't want us to be exposed to that kind of music. So, of course, we listened to a lot of that music on TV when we were kids. And then when I was older, you know, I started playing the guitar and mandolin. And it's kind of interesting. I hadn't been to Nashville since I was a kid. So I was kind of exploring some of my childhood memories here in Nashville today. You mentioned picking up the guitar along the way. 
Is this something that goes way back in your family culture? Were you a music family? Actually, the first time I ever heard people jam was when I was 17. It was in Columbia, South Carolina, and it was a friend of mine who had a bluegrass band. And I heard these guys sitting around playing music, and I was so taken with just people playing music and you know listening to each other and creating something there together that I went and borrowed a guitar. And as it turns out, I think it was an old dobro that this guy gave me. And I would play it till my fingers would bleed, and then I'd wait two weeks for my fingers to heal, and then I'd play it till my fingers bled again. And finally I said, you know, i got to go buy a guitar that I can actually play. So I went out and bought my first guitar, and I had it till just about a year ago when it got stolen. My son was using it, and it was kind of sad, but he was sitting out in front of the church, and somebody came up and swiped it. With him right there? Yeah, he was standing there. This couple pulled up in the car with two little kids in it and picked up the guitar and rode off with him beating on the back of the car and screaming because he knew that that was my old guitar and he was upset that they were driving off with it. That's a sad story. I find it kind of interesting that your love affair with music didn't start until 17. Did you have a connection to music beforehand? Well, I had been in choirs and that type of thing, but I didn't, my family, the only thing, my dad played a harmonica. But nobody in my family, you know, you you live in suburbia and places like that, and, you know, they're kind of sterile environments in some ways, you know. And when I saw real musicians playing, it was just so real. You know, it was so exciting to me that I just, I had to try to do it. And I've never, I can't read music really well, but over the years I've played a lot of music. I've learned a lot, and uh, I've played with some great pickers and sang with some great pickers, and I just love it. Well, one of the treats that I got from you when I was down visiting you there in Florida is you gave me a CD with five of the songs that you've performed on it. Do you have a professionally mastered full CD coming up soon? Probably not. I've been a songwriter for several years, and you know, in my work I have to be pretty organized, but in my music it's about sort of my heart and my spirit and I can be as disorganized as I want to be or as organized as I want to be. And, you know, if it happens, it happens. If it doesn't, I'm just as happy. You mentioned, Catherine, that music is a balm for your soul. And I'm wondering about the rest of your spiritual journey or at least your background. Uh, What were you raised religiously? You mentioned your mom is from eastern Tennessee. Where's your dad from? Uh, what, What mix did they bring into your life religiously? Well, my dad was from, actually, he was raised in Atlanta, and I was raised in Southern Baptist Church. And then I got older, and I was in the Peace Corps, something you and I kind of have in common. I did a lot of peace activism over the years. I met all kinds of people, you know, had all kinds of experiences, and I came to walk this path through. I was married in the Methodist Church. I was a youth counselor in the Lutheran Church. I had Catholic friends, and I had Buddhist, Jewish, Muslim friends. And finally, I've ended up as a Quaker. Along the way, music has been sort of important to me as a way that I sort of express myself when I was upset about things. It helped me to get over things, work through things. It's just such a part of me now I can't really imagine not having it in some way. 
Well, maybe we should dive into your music that you've selected for your Song of the Soul, because I think there are various threads of your life that we will pull out as we listen to each song. What was the first song that you chose for your Song of the Soul, Catherine? When I was really young, I heard some musician, you know, I don't even remember at this time who I heard. It was maybe even somebody like Arlo Guthrie, or it seems like it was on a pretty bad recording, too. I heard this Jimmy Rogers song, and... I just loved it. Um, a matter of fact, I've sort of had a had a real affinity for music of that period, you know, like the 20s, the early 30s. For a long time, it's almost like I have this this radar. When I hear these songs from that period, I just, you know, hone in on them. And so it was one of the first songs I ever learned. I learned it wrong. The start of the song says, All Along the Water Tower. And somehow in the recording, I had come up with All Along the Water Cane. And I didn't even know what I thought a water cane was, but I just I sang it for years like that. And then somebody said, what are you saying? What are you doing here? And over the years, different musicians have said, that's the wrong chord. That's the wrong you know, way that song's done. And so I've kind of had to relearn the song a couple of times. I love Jimmy Rogers. You know, he was really into sort of the hobo genre. And he himself was somewhat of a hobo, you know, traveling around the country and you know, dying at a pretty young age of TB, but he had these great songs. I sort of got into learning, I had a number of hobo songs that I sang for a while, and so finally I decided to write my own hobo song. Well, before we get to your hobo song, let's talk about Jimmy Rogers' song. Why did you pick out Waiting for a Train? What kind of spiritual connection do you have to this particular song by Jimmy Rogers? Well, the song itself is pretty, you know, interesting. It's about this guy who's standing by this water tower waiting to catch a train. He's out there by himself, and then, you know, this guy tells him, he asks this guy for a dime, and he says, you know, I'm not even going to give you a dime to help you. And so then it talks about, you know, he's standing out in Texas or something trying to get back to his home, and he's standing in the rain, just watching the rain come down and, sort of paints a real visual picture you know even if you're not literally there there's times in your life when you felt that way that you're out in the middle of texas and nowhere trying to get somewhere and it's raining on you well i'm willing to join him out in that rain this is jimmy rogers waiting for a train
put me off in Texas, a state I dearly love. The wide open space is all around me, the moon and stars up above. Nobody seems to want me or lend me a helping hand. I'm on my way from. I'm going back to Dixieland. Though my pocketbook is empty and my heart is full of pain, I'm a thousand miles away from home, just waiting for a train. That was Waiting for a Train by Jimmy Rogers. That's certainly a classic recording of that song. It's been done by a lot of other folks since Jimmy Rogers did it, including people like John Denver. But, Catherine, I'm kind of surprised you connect with this song, which goes way back. Any other connections you have to that music in that time and Jimmy Rogers? Well, I think one of the things that I felt a connection is the fact that Jimmy Rogers, he died in his early 30s. He died of TB, and my great-grandfather, he also died from TB from his um, experience in World War One. TB was a horrible disease, and it's a horrible way to die, and it was very much part of the life of poor working people at that time. Well, let's keep moving right along to some more of your music. Your second song that you chose is one that you actually wrote called Hobo in My Heart. What's the story behind this? Is it just your longing to be a hobo? Well, actually, um, it was written for a friend of mine who had found out that he had cancer and eventually died. He was the gentleman I worked for at a community mental health center in Florida. He really loved people, and I always felt like he and I sort of shared interest in the same kind of music. So when he was retiring, you know, knowing that he had the cancer, I said, well, I'm going to write him a song. So is there a part of you that really wants to go on the road as a hobo? And if so, have you ever actually done it? Actually, I have a couple of times, and we won't go into great detail about that, but I've been sort of a traveler in the world of sorts and hitchhiked a few places in my life. My husband and I hitchhiked into the Sahara Desert when we were in the Peace Corps, and I've had the experience of being a stranger in a strange land, and that's sort of about being a hobo. Actually, Catherine, I think you're kind of young to be connecting with the idea of hobos. That's something of a generation, one or two generations before me or you, that really had hobos. Did you ever actually meet a hobo? Matter of fact, I was telling my mother, we were talking about hobos, and she was recalling as a child her grandfather had a grapevine in his backyard and how he got so mad one year because he went down and one of the hobos from the railroad track had come up and all he had left was some holes underneath his grapevine. He had eaten all of his grapes. <laughs> so it's a family affinity probably for grapes and for hobos that connects you to it. I'd like to listen to the song now. It's called Hobo in My Heart and it's by my guest for today's Song of the Soul, Catherine Price. I am just a hobo in my heart Always been a hobo Knew it right from the start I love hobo places I like 
hobo dreams I have hobo heartaches And I cry hobo tears Really just a hobo way down in here Hobos, they are messy They'll get there Hobos are quite dependable They eat every day And if you ask them Want a drink You know exactly what they'll say I am just a hobo in my heart Always been a hobo from the start I love hobo places I like hobo things I have hobo wishes And I have hobo dreams I have hobo heartaches And I cry hobo tears I'm really just a hobo way down One from a mile Something about the way they walk Something about their smile I am just a hobo in my heart Always been a hobo Knew it right from the start I love hobo places I like hobo
when you were talking about your hobo rambling, you mentioned that you and David had been in the Peace Corps in Africa, traveled to the Sahara Desert. You want to tell the folks a little bit about your experience with the Peace Corps? Well, we were in the Peace Corps, North Africa. We learned some Arabic, learned some about the Arab culture, but it was very different than what I had been raised in. So, you know, you're sort of a stranger in that culture. I loved the Arab culture. I loved the people. You know, there were a couple of people that were difficult, as there are anywhere you go, but by and large, people were very generous, very kind, continuously asking us into their home, feeding us. One gentleman, because my husband wouldn't smoke, spent a whole week's earnings to buy Marlboro cigarettes because he thought the only reason my husband didn't smoke is that he wanted an American cigarette. And, uh, of course, my husband smoked a cigarette that night. (laughs) You know, I just, I I really enjoyed meeting different people. Suddenly you have this relationship and you appreciate their kindness and their generosity. We were there in like 81, 82. It was about the time that there was sort of the war between Lebanon and Israel was going on. Lebanon was being pulverized by the Israelis with U.S.-made weapons. And that was kind of an interesting perspective to be living in an Arab culture and seeing that happening and listening to the people's concerns. And it was pretty eye-opening. And undoubtedly very heart-wrenching as well. What was the work you did while you were in the Peace Corps? Uh, we were working with agriculture. We worked with greenhouse and vegetable production. And is that your work now? <laughs> no, now I'm a healthcare administrator. <laughs> Well, that's quite a distance from point A to point B in terms of what profession you're in. I don't think we'll go there right now. Let's stay with your music. You, I think, have a real strong affinity for bluegrass music, don't you? Um, I love bluegrass. Right now I'm sort of into a western swing sort of phase. When you're into music like I am, and I'm not like a professional where I'm focusing, I've gone through many different phases of being really fascinated with a specific musician and like I might for three or four months just listen to one musician over and over again and then you've kind of digested their style and their music and then I'm over it and I'm on to somebody else so I've gone through this probably 50 times over the years like I went through a period where I listened to people like Janis Joplin I was really into Janis Joplin and Bob Dylan and Woody Guthrie and Amy Lou Harris. This might interest you, given that you're Quaker. Did you know that Amy Lou Harris attended the Nashville Quaker meeting back in the day? Well, I was just reading about Amy Lou up here in this magazine, talking about her dogs, how she's rescuing all these dogs. It's in one of the Nashville magazines. And I've heard, and I still like Amy Lou, but, you know, I don't listen to those people anymore because I know their music. And when I was finished with it, I was over it, you know, and I moved on to somebody else. And it's kind of weird like that with musicians. Well, speaking of weird musicians, let's talk about Paul Thorne and your next song for your song of your soul. (laughs) Well, this is, Paul Thorne was somebody that my, this gentleman that I work for turned me on to. And we were both raised in the South, probably in pretty conservative religious environments. And he shared these songs from Paul Thorne from me, and I just became obsessed with Paul Thorne. A friend of mine described Paul Thorne's music as trailer trash Jesus music. And I think that's about the best description you could give of it, because his father was an evangelist that preached revivals and stuff. 
and that was the environment this guy Paul Thorne was raised in. And so when you go to his concerts, it's like going to a, a revival, the way he runs his concerts. And he sings these songs that have really strong religious overtones, and he takes you from these songs that are extremely religious and, and very, um, you know, driven with lots of religious imagery, and then the next thing he'll be singing about a prostitute or, you know, his drinking problem or something like this. And so he can just jerk you from one emotion to the other. And he's just a great storyteller, and he's just got a lot of enthusiasm. Well, which song of his would you like us to listen to? Well, I think I'd like to listen to the Mission Temple Fireworks Stand. I think that's sort of one of his sort of uh, trademark songs that sort of incorporates his religious view and sort of a sense of humor, too. Well, there's two things that don't usually go together, having a sense of humor along with these strong religious views. Well, I think we better give our audience an idea of what we're talking about with Paul's music. So let's play it first and talk a little bit more about it afterwards. This is Paul Thorne and his song, Mission Temple Fireworks Stand. I saw a black man with a Bible and a sparkler in his hand. He was holding a tent revival and running a fireworks stand. He said the end of the world is coming, so you better get on your knees. Today, vital rockets are two for one, but salvation's free. Get around, get around, yeah. He said I quit my job at a big church where the milk and money flowed to sell cherry bombs to Jesus in a tent beside the road. I ain't in it for the money, most cars pass on by. Thank you. <laughs> Y'all did fabulous. 
That was Paul Thorne in his song, Mission Temple Fireworks Stand. This is Song of the Soul, and my guest today is Catherine Price. I'm your host, Mark Helps Meet. This is a Northern Spirit Radio program. You can always catch these programs via my website, northernspiritradio.org. Catherine, when I first heard that song, my reaction was, he's not religious, he's anti-religious, he's making fun of it. How do you react to someone trying to tent revival you if, in fact, he's serious about doing that? It's kind of like when you're doing music, it's kind of like an abstract piece of art. And you look at it from one direction and you think you see one thing, and then you look at it from another and you think you see something else. Paul Thorne, because he's a great songwriter and a great storyteller, when you listen to his songs, sometimes you think that he's profoundly religious and maybe he's actually an evangelist himself, that he's out telling you know, the story of Jesus on the street corner to the people that need to hear it. And then the next minute you think he's the most abject sinner that there could possibly be. And he makes you really think about yourself, you know, like where you're coming from religiously. When you have been raised in the South in a very conservative religious environment, I was raised with a lot of fear, you know, of the the apocalypse and um, doing the wrong thing. And so for me to work through a lot of that took a long time of allowing myself to view religion from the standpoint of something positive, something affirming, and not something that was just a fear factor, you know, a fear-driven type of situation. I guess when I look at his art, I'm seeing an abstract piece of work. So are you saying because it's this abstract work of art that it reduces its power to push your buttons? I guess I like it because it pushes those buttons, and then it makes me look at it, and then I go, well, is he telling a joke? Is he serious? What is he doing here? (laughs) You know, and then sometimes it just makes me laugh. That sounds like a pretty healthy way to deal with it. Is the rest of your family still Southern Baptist? Well, actually, I don't think any of my family are Baptists now. One of my brothers is pretty conservative religiously compared to the rest of us. Some of my family members are still pretty conservative compared to me politically and that type of thing. Are you, Catherine, as a Quaker, are you kind of the liberal pole of the family? Well, when I was young, they didn't really know what to do with me. A few people told me if I would go up north, I would find a lot of people like me up there. I didn't understand why that it was so hard for people to understand that Jesus didn't want you killing people or thinking it was all right to just kill people because they were different than you were. It seems pretty straightforward to me from the things I learned in Sunday school as a young Southern Baptist, but that didn't seem to be the cultural interpretation that these other people were coming up with. So That's been a hard one for me to understand how that interpretation is so different from what I think you and I hold in common. Well, let's keep moving along with your music. We now get another song by that famous singer-songwriter, Catherine Price. Tell us about your song, Pale Moonlight. Well, I used to have a a little band, and we called ourselves the Hog Dogs. In Central Florida, we have a lot of hog dogs people go out and hunt hogs with, you know. A couple of the guys I played with, they'd say, Catherine's written another angry woman's song. And I said, well, I said, this 
is better. I said, I'm actually sublimating my anger against men into a song instead of actually acting it out. I've never actually gone out and killed a man in my life. So I wrote this song, and my husband and I were kind of environmentalists, and I like to write songs that are about a specific area that elicit a feeling of a particular environment. And so this song is sort of about the scrub of central Florida that this girl is brought into, you know, this cowboy or cowman, as they called him, out in the scrub of Florida, brought her out in the middle of nowhere, told her he'd marry her. He doesn't marry her. He just leaves her out there. And then he goes riding off on his horse and periodically shows up again just to, you know, hang around the house for a while. And then she's left sitting out in the middle of the scrub all by herself with a lot of time on her hands and getting madder and madder. So finally she kills him. So it's sort of a feminist song, sort of a angry, it's basically an angry woman song. <laughs> an angry woman song, huh? <laughs> was this was this before you were Quaker that you were writing about killing people? No, actually, um, I've been a Quaker for a long time, and I still, you know, like I said, you know, we all have these negative feelings, and it's what we do with them that's important. My feeling is it's better to write a song about killing a man than actually go out and do it. I was just wondering if this was kind of a message for your husband, David, that... He's not going to go away, leave me. <laughs> well, let's put it this way. We've been married 25 years, and we've gone through some ups and downs in our relationship. Well, it sounds like it's worked out all right for you, and I have to agree. It's much better to write a song about killing someone than to actually go out and do it, so I'm glad it worked out in your marriage. Well, with that kind of happy outcome in mind... I think we should listen to the song here. It's by my guest for today's Song of the Soul. Her name is Catherine Price, and the song is Pale Moonlight. In the pale moonlight of that scrubland prairie, a young cowman came into my life. He was tall and tan, just a contrary but he promised me he'd take my
all of his favorite scent I gave him a drink of his favorite brew then I took his gun and I killed that cowman and I see it here now when I wait for my It's by my guest for today's Song of the Soul. Her name is Catherine Price, and she's from the central area of Florida, scrubby area, as you heard from the song. Catherine, how long have you and David been in that area of the state? Uh, We've been there about 20 years, and my husband is now the president of Historic Box Sanctuary, a historical landmark, beautiful La Caroline Tower that has meditative gardens around it, started by Edward Bach. They also have some natural areas around the garden. They do a lot of education on the environment. So we're pretty um, involved in the community there and the environmental end of things there. The next song that you've chosen for your Song of the Soul is about a river. And I'm up here in Wisconsin. You're down there in Florida. Up here we've got lakes and rivers everywhere. Are there lots of rivers and such down by you? Yeah, actually, there's a lot of lakes. There's a number of rivers in Florida. The song that I think you're going to play is called Peace River. It's about a river that runs from Charlotte Harbor up to the the Polk County area in central Florida. Some people say the name was actually Pease. It's an Indian name. They were talking about Pease, some kind of Pease that grew on the river, and then it was changed to Peace River. 
But the Peace River is a very interesting river because there are a lot of fossils in it. And this song, if you listen to it, it's a little bit like hunting for fossils because it mentions a lot of things that if you've been on the Peace River, you'll know the imagery and what I'm talking about. You can find all kinds of cool fossils of like old-time manatees called dugons. There were camel-like animals in Florida and scoots from ancient tortoises, all kinds of cool stuff. Matter of fact, the more we're talking about it, the more I want to go down there now. If you just want to make sure that you don't step in any holes where there's an alligator, but by and large, it's pretty safe. Well, it sounds like you're giving us an easy way to visit the area through your song. Clearly one of your spiritual spots. Let's go on a trip down Peace River with Catherine Price for Song of the Soul. Peace River, you're slower than sin. Oh, 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 baby, I feel you're coming again in the middle of the summer.
River by Catherine Price, my guest for Song of the Soul. we got to keep moving right along because you still have a couple songs, Catherine, and we don't have much time left. So let's go right on to your next Song of the Soul. It is Blue-Eyed Florida Baby. Who is that one for? Oh, this is for my husband, David, and a couple of friends when I first played it. It's kind of a swing song, and they said, well, Catherine, does David have blue eyes? And they said, because if he's got brown eyes, you can only play it here. You can't play this song out. But he has very pretty blue eyes. Matter of fact, my grandmother, when she first met David, he had a big beard and long hair. And about all she could see was his blue eyes. And she was always one to be positive. And so when he wasn't standing there, she said, well, he has really nice eyes. That was all she could say about it. But she was looking for the positive, and she thought that his eyes were pretty. (laughs) Clarify something for me. You mentioned that you and David were married in a Methodist church, yet you were Southern Baptist. Was he the one who was Methodist? And how is it that you got from wherever you were to being Quaker? I'm missing something about the middle ground there. Um, Actually, he was raised a Lutheran. And then we met each other at Clemson University. We met at a Methodist Youth Center, and so we spent a lot of time there. And we were actually married at the Methodist Church. We were married in the basement of the Methodist Church because I thought it was too opulent to be married in the main church. It was too big and kind of impersonal. And I asked for 10 minutes of silence from the Methodist minister, and he was a little disconcerted. He said, well, Catherine, you know, people are going to start wondering what's going on after about a minute. And I said, well, I think this is a pretty important thing that we're doing here. I think we need to sit and think about it for a while, and we need some other people to sit there and think about it with us. And at that time, I really had never worshipped in a Quaker meeting, but it was just where I was kind of working to. Like I said, I kind of came to the point probably after we came back from the Peace Corps, um, had been back for a couple of years where I just felt like, I really couldn't take another person saying something to the fact that if a person didn't accept Jesus as their personal Savior, that they were going to go to hell. And I thought if I heard that one more time, that I was just going to go crazy. And that's about the time that I started meeting with Quakers. And at first I felt like the Quakers were really sort of, um, they were kind of weak-minded or they just weren't, didn't have any sense of direction or something, but... Over the years of meeting in the silence and that type of thing, it's just kind of worked on me and helped me work through a lot of different things, baggage that I needed to work through. For example, Quakers have a real hard time dealing with money, and Baptists never did. You know, they just say, look, you're supposed to tithe, you're supposed to give 10%, and that's it. 
then they would go around and, you know, hand out their basket and you gave them money and they built big churches and stuff. And the Quakers, you know, they get tied in knots about things and they have a real hard time asking anybody for money. And anyway, it just seemed to me to be sort of wishy-washy, you know. But I did realize that after a while that when I would go and sit in the silence that I usually felt better about myself when it was all over with than I would feel if I went to a regular church service. So I started kind of letting go of some of the other thoughts, and now I'm probably as wishy-washy as anybody else. Well, I think I have a much better idea of how you got where you are and where you are right now. You and David both. Let's play the song that you wrote for him, Your Blue-Eyed Florida Baby by Catherine Price. Well, deep and high, the Florida's so fair. My blue-eyed baby is there Sweeter than honey from the orange tree So fair that orange blossoms in night air He's really got me going His laughing is so fine If I did not say something I would be aligned My blue-eyed baby is my loving man That brings me more love than I can stand My blue-eyed baby means the world to me He brings me special gifts from far and wide Tells me that he loves me and makes me laugh out loud He's better than a movie or TV song went out to Catherine Price's husband, David. Catherine is my guest for today's Song of the Soul. And Catherine, you're quite a guitar player. You play several styles, and I believe you also mentioned that you play the mandolin, which means, of course, that you're really picking the mandolin. How do you rate your skills at guitar and mandolin and picking and all that? I don't know. I'd say I'm as far as my picking, I'm probably average. You know, I, I'd consider I'm okay. I didn't really start picking till I started picking the mandolin about seven or eight years ago. I've been a sort of a fingerstyle guitarist for a long time. And as women go, I'm, I'm a pretty darn good rhythm guitarist and actually fairly good fingerstyle guitarist. You just don't see really great women guitarists. I don't know whether it's because it's a larger instrument in their hands. It's hard for them to you know, just from the standpoint of strength to do what men are able to do with the guitar or whether it's just a psychological thing. So who are your favorite female guitarists? And I'm fishing for a specific answer here. Well, I've got a new hero. 
I just heard her play about a month ago, and she's actually has Quaker roots. Uh, I think she considers herself to be an attender at a Quaker meeting in Nashville, but her name is Muriel Anderson. She's actually one of the best guitarists in the United States. And I heard this woman, and I was just absolutely blown away by her technical skills at the guitar. You know, I really needed somebody to sort of inspire me. I've gotten her books, and I'm studying, trying to learn my scales better and trying to learn how to move around on the guitar neck better and improve my technique. I'll never be as good as her. Let's just make that really clear. But I can be a lot better than I am. Well, given that Muriel Anderson is the inspiration for your new developments on the guitar, it's appropriate that you chose one of her songs to close with. Are you ready to give Muriel a chance to dazzle people with her guitar playing ability? Yeah, I'd like you to, I think we talked about you playing her song Ariosa. And I'll just have to say that she's mainly an instrumentalist. Any of her songs are great, but, you know, we had to pick out one, and that's the one I picked. Even though I've never heard Muriel in concert, I have read a little bit about her, and one of the things that I read is, I think, that she started composing music when she was something like six years old. Something like that, and she won this famous music contest. The name of it slips, but it's basically she was the best fingerstyle guitarist in the United States. She was the only woman to ever win this award. I went to one of her workshops, and it was absolutely gratifying to see a bunch of bluegrass pickers who usually pride themselves on their technique and their speed and everything just sitting in complete stunned silence at her ability to move around on the instrument. I can see that you have a whole lot more you could add about Muriel, but the clock's ticking, so I think we'll go right away and listen to her music so people can be impressed firsthand. This is Arioso, and it's by Muriel Anderson, and it's the last song in Catherine Price's Song of the Soul.
That was Muriel Anderson and her song, Arioso. You can hear a lot more of her music via her website. It's murielanderson.com. Catherine, that was the last song for your Song of the Soul. You've given us quite a bouquet of spirituality of your life, of the different flavors and hues and colors of your life, and I want to thank you for that. And I especially want to thank you for the hospitality when I was down there just recently. You made those of us with the Friendly Folk Dancers feel very welcome. Thanks for sharing your Song of the Soul, Catherine. Well, thank you for having me. My guest today for Song of the Soul has been Catherine Price of Lake Wales, Florida. The theme music for Song of the Soul is by Chris Williamson, and it's called Song of the Soul. My name is Mark Helpsmeet, and this is a Northern Spirit Radio production. You can listen to this program again, track down the list of songs included, and a whole lot more on my website, northernspiritradio.org. And I invite you to share your Song of the Soul with my listeners. Just contact me via my website. And please, join me weekly for Song of the Soul. You can be happy.